Chapter 2 Ten minutes later, from where I was sitting in the Guatemalan woman's breakfast nook, I could make out away across the deep ravine, the backyard of my own family cottage. I thought of the rough, overgrown trail that ran down to the river from my side to a natural swimming pool, a fifteen-minute down-and-up hike in good weather. Always suspicious of coincidence, my scientific edge was also busy evaluating the improbability of this paired location of our houses. My mother, in stark contrast to my father, assumed that the whole universe was one gigantic, conscious, meaningful whole, with coincidence and synchronicity integrating everything that happens in our lives. She even believes that space beings once visited our planet and inserted a higher alien perspective into our bumbling primate genes. But after high school, I'd put aside her grand Illuminati illusions and focused on my dad's serious brain research at Stanford. Meanwhile, the woman with me in the kitchen was busy at a gas stove, cooking up a salivacious storm. The welcome nasal punch of onions and garlic, peppers and mushrooms, cooking in olive oil and butter, had taken over the airspace. I felt her eyes on me and turned my head in her direction. So shall we now exchange names, she said, switching unexpectedly into Spanish. Up here I am Lena. In Europe... Magda. Down south at the lake they call me Mahi, or the full Mahalena. And you? Pues, I responded, also speaking in Spanish. My mom calls me Jack. Dad called me John or Buddy. Down south I'm usually Juan. You speak good Spanish, she said. My grandfather had a big Mexican family on his ranch where I spent my summers, I explained. I can speak some backcountry Nayarit, her expression shifted suddenly. With a very serious look on her face, she said something to me quite intensely, but in a language I didn't quite recognize, with a whole array of curious clicks and guttural sounds. Wait, what was that? I asked. Her expression collapsed. Ah, no calito. So you go no deeper, she said in English. But this, for now, is enough. More wine? She filled up my glass again. I offer a toast, she said with a mischievous grin, to guards who cannot look away from a pretty girl's yellow underwear. I grinned back as we clicked and sipped. I noticed she drank very little wine. As she went back to her cooking, I asked, So who's this Nocalito? Oh, that name is from our native tradition. Speaking of family, I told her, your house here is just across the gorge from my old family home. I'm the one right over there. She came walking over close to me, knife still in hand, and leaned to look where I was pointing. That was my mom's parents' place, I told her. Have you been here all along? This time we arrived three days ago. So, I said, what do you intend to do with the piece? Return it to some Guatemala museum? No, she said. It is for the use of my people. What'll they do with it? She was standing with the large knife gripped in her left hand. She raised it up before me and made a quick, multidimensional, jagged slash through the air. Just that, she said. Disrupt the tradition. 
at least slightly redirect this crazy world's staggering steps, expand our worldview and rediscover the natural balance of opposites, unite the male and female. I know I speak big words, but Juan, if we cannot finally attain harmonic resonance in each of our own hearts, then we shall perhaps, in the name of macho young idiocy, actually destroy this amazing human experience. Well, forgive me for my ranting. English is my fourth and often quite difficult tongue. I received my vocabulary in Europe by reading very fat and heavy books. And your educated mind, I asked, it believes a native artifact can evoke a change of heart in the digital masses? I believe, she said seriously, it's possible by finally resolving our own tradition's priestly atrocities for a newness to be released. What, by inserting this gaping erection into some ancient Mayan ceremony? Please, she retorted, I no longer participate in ceremony. I absconded with it to make sure my brother cannot employ it. Something started boiling over on the stove, and she retreated with light dancer steps to lower the flame. I was left staring out the window, reflecting on what she'd said about ceremony. I'd done fieldwork in traditional Navajo communities, but they'd always been staunch preservers of their tradition, not out to transform it. Right then, the back door banged open, and the woman I'd last seen convulsing at the museum walked in. Mahalena put down her spatula and came eagerly into the arms of her friend with kisses and a hug. But then the new arrival noticed me, and she said hotly in Spanish, Mahi, who is this man? Relax, Mahalena said back in Spanish. I told you of Nocalito. This man, I have perhaps known him from, well, from before. But he's gringo, no? Who can say what he is? Look, I am preparing a meal to celebrate our victory. No, I can't stay, the woman retorted, still glowering at me. I came only to make sure you succeeded. Mai hurried out of the room. The other woman didn't move. I remained mute for a moment, but the feeling wasn't good between us, so I spoke up in Spanish. Um, I'm sorry if I scare you somehow. I'm not really dangerous or anything. In fact, I thought what you did back at the museum was remarkable. She said nothing. She just stared blankly out the window at the darkness, then stood on one foot, then twirled around and glared at me when I made a move and walked over to see how things were doing on the stove. And a moment later, Mahi returned, holding the jade piece. You must feel this at least once in your hands, she said to the woman. We have succeeded. No, I don't touch that. I helped you earlier, but don't expect me to touch that. I hardly touched the real thing. You know me. This is not an object I'm going to touch. It would give me nightmares. What they did with it. What it might still do. It's power, Mahalina said. Whatever it might be, is in our control now. Abierta will hold the reins. At least on this dimension, the flow is with us. Bernardo, 
has lost. But are you sure it's the true peace? the woman asked. What do you feel? You're the intuitive. A moment of silence ensued, as Mahalena got lost visually, studying the phallus in her hands. She shuddered slightly and glanced into my eyes, then to the woman. Please, I'm not the one to look. I require Abierta with me, and Papa. I can only tell you there are definite emanations. Now is not the time to go deeper. So, the woman retorted, the ancient ones are still with us, for better or for worse. We shall see. Right now I can only say, a la nueva. Pues, a la nueva, the woman repeated in a solemn tone. Then, glowering at me a final time, she turned and hurried out the door into the secluded back garden. A while later, we were sitting with full stomachs in the living room. She'd played another song from that Norwegian woman named Fia, Zen acoustic guitar, and the most remarkable lilting voice and spiritual lyrics. Halfway through the second song, Mahalena suddenly seemed to remember something. She jumped up and went fast out of the room. Staring out a wide back window at the smudge of moonlit gorge, I realized that if I hadn't gone on impulse to the museum this afternoon, I'd be over there in my own cottage, phoning someone and doing something. I turned back into the softly lit space of the living room. All four walls and the entrance hallway were showcasing with subtle, effective lighting a dozen large paintings, almost certainly by the same artist. Most of them were thick acrylic with a lot of wild, masterful knife strokes. In each painting, one or more native people were staring right back at me, and on the wall behind me, I saw two half-naked native lovers embracing with a sexual abandon under a surreal half-moon. Lovers. I hadn't yet let myself fully imagine what this flesh-and-bones woman here with me in this cottage might be like at the deeper, erogenous levels. Vague sexual associations got me lost just for a moment, remembering my recently departed ex-wife, who'd packed a somewhat similar charge. My host came walking back into the living room and went to the mantel, reached up and grabbed the jade piece and brought it to the coffee table in front of us. She sat down beside me cross-legged and stared at the thing. It was quite obviously a nasty priestly toy of the old chauvinistic order. So is the creator of these pictures famous? I asked her. These are the works of my father. He paints with quite considerable success, she said evenly. He sends a dozen new paintings up each month for my cousin to sell in several galleries. He can deliver quite an awakening jolt. So you're saying your dad packs a particular psychic charge, just like that jade piece? Is that why you stole the thing? I have taken the jade because my teacher requested me to. Who knows? We might find positive information and inspiration lingering within this piece, still waiting to be employed. She recrossed her slender legs, sipped at her wine. You know something of me. Tell me more deeply about you. I didn't know what to say, 
so I just repeated some overly clever words I'd written for a new bio. Well, I grew up with a trippy mom who saw fairies under toadstools, and a pragmatic dad who studied the mind's capacity to fool itself into thinking it saw fairies under toadstools. She broke into that beautiful, full-lipped grin of hers. Oh, you're a poet and you know it. Surely you shall not blow it. But your father, who is he? Past tense, I said tersely. He's dead. He was a professor at Stanford. I'm doing similar research at Berkeley. And his name? Um, Jonathan Hadley. She inhaled with almost a gasp. Oh, now we enter the definite realm of coincidence. I once read Professor Hadley's writings about the neurological foundations of perceptual reality, yes? I agree with him that there are many layers to what we call reality. The déjà vu, the coincidence, and what he called, if I remember, the quantum coordinating resonance. I wrote two papers at Zurich on his teachings. So tell me now, considering who your father was, what in fact brought you to the museum today of all days? Well, when I was in high school, I spent a year in Antigua as an exchange student. It was the best time of my life. Ever since then, I've had a strong attraction for anything Guatemalan. And does that attraction include the girls of Guatemala? She asked in a suddenly lighter tone, shifting her position on the couch in a way I couldn't help but take in. One in particular, I told her honestly. We were together for just a couple months, but I felt something with her that, well, I've never found again. One week, we went up to Lago Atitlan and took the mail boat across the lake to Santiago. You actually grew up there? Your accent, it's not what I'd expect. Until I was twelve, she explained, I lived mainly with my mother and her Tsutuhil clan in Santiago. But there was also my father across the lake, who is half German. He sent me to Switzerland for schooling. So I am very much split between European and Mayan accents. I also stayed several summers in England with my father's relatives from India. She paused a moment and let silence fill the room as her eyes gazed directly into mine. Ah, Juanito, she said, there remains so much that's currently hidden from me. But you are here, and you are as real as you need to be for now. I now offer a prayer to homeland, to ancestors, to spiritual revolution, and to our perhaps finding new energetic balance. You came when I called. Perhaps who can say? We are both blessed. But please understand me. We've met over a gaping male erection, but I remain sexually bashful, even though you make me feel hungry. I honor your luxuriant male charge. A la nueva. We became lost momentarily, looking deep into each other's eyes. Then she broke off the gaze and stretched out languorously on the sofa with her head in my lap. The fire 
crackled and popped. The moon came out from behind clouds for a moment, blasting its light down into the backyard. Her eyes had closed. I watched her breathing, slowing down, and felt myself just effortlessly floating. I'd had only two, maybe three glasses of wine, and nothing at all to smoke with her. She still had her eyes closed, and in that resonant quiet of her living room, I took the secret liberty of again watching her breasts rising and falling in perfect unison. As I started breathing along with her, I could feel a slight parallel upsurge down in my eros zones. Before you touch me, she said, perhaps you might like to tell me something about your grandfather. I'd just then been blocking a pleasurable impulse to move my hand down and gently touch the softest of her neck, where her hair had fallen aside and exposed smooth tan-colored skin. Gramps, I told her, his old-time spirit, it's still alive inside me. Maybe it sounds a bit crazy, but that's how it is. No, not crazy, she said. The ancestors continue in realms beyond our senses. My breathing was vague, my mind lost in an interior fog. Then, feeling brazen suddenly, and just going along with whatever was heating up, I bent over and kissed those lips, and she responded. And right at that moment, Caught up in such a delightfully hot state, we both got jolted out of our half-budded love trance by a loud landline ringing somewhere off in another room. Madre mia, that must be Raphael, she muttered, jumping up and running fast from the room. A moment later, I could hear her muffled voice speaking some language I couldn't recognize. I could vaguely hear the flooded stream roaring down below in the canyon. Where would I end up spending the night? If I needed to hike over to my house, there was a rope swing down below to cross the stream in usual weather, but tonight? Adjusting my Levi's to make room for my entranced Peen's presence, my eyes came to rest again on the jade piece, feeling multiple emotions at the same time. I reached out and touched the tip of the thing, just to have done it. As I did so, the words the two women had spoken in the kitchen came to mind. They had said a la nueva, to a new beginning, and I knew enough Spanish grammar to suspect they were purposefully changing what was traditionally a masculine term into feminine. But if they were feminists, why weren't they looking for a sculpture of female genitalia? instead of this male piece. Mahalena came hurrying back into the room. She grabbed the jade piece. I have an emergency to deal with, she told me bluntly. We must leave immediately out the back door and go down to the canyon. Can we get over secretly to your house? Maybe, I said, but the water's real high. Well, we have no choice. Please, Go wait out back under the big tree. Be silent. Show no lights. Trust me, Localito. Go. Go. Outside, 
The recent downpour was finished and vague moonlight filtered sporadically through low clouds. The gorge was faintly visible to the left down below as I went walking fast in my lightweight boots across the grass toward the looming blackness of the live oak tree. I was guessing that the emergency phone call was about the robbery that I'd been a passive part of. What was the right reaction? What should I be doing? Mahalena suddenly appeared, running toward me with a backpack, her long hair billowing out behind. She came against me, and that felt very good. But then she pushed away, grabbed my hand, and took me running off across the lawn under the great oak and down a path toward the shelter of some redwoods. When we were entirely out of sight of the house, she finally came to a stop, both of us panting from the exertion. Mahi, tell me, what's this all about, I insisted. She was calming down. Her voice was low and hoarse. Perhaps you can come talk with Raphael, she said. He can explain. Right now they assume we are still in the house. Perhaps they think we are spending the night together. Not such a bad idea, I said lightly. She ignored my comment. Can we make our way over to your house? Let's go see, I said, leading her through faltering moonlight deeper down the trail into the gorge. The path was slippery, but hand in hand, we kept our footing and finally made it to the boulder-strewn bottom. The flood water was roaring in the darkness like crazy. The river could be deadly, given half a chance, but I was feeling up for a challenge, and it seemed she was too. I led her rock over rock, until I found the place I was looking for. I ran around behind a sycamore tree and came back holding the end of a long rope tied to an overhanging branch high above the river. From that rock up there, I shouted, one of us gets across first and swings the rope hard back over to the other. You've done this before, she asked. Not during a flood, I admitted, but if you keep your cool, it's not hard. You go first, she said. Show me how. I climbed up onto the big flat-topped boulder with her, glanced at the slant on the rope tied thirty feet above me, then looked down at the roiling floodwater. I'd done this many times before, when the creek was just ten to twelve feet across, from boulder to boulder, but it looked like at least twenty feet tonight. She seemed to be a strong athletic woman, so what the hell? I grinned at her, put her backpack onto my own back, pulled the rope tight, and, without thinking, just went for it, leaping and sailing out and over the churning water, then continuing with an upward arc all the way until my feet could plop down onto solid stone on the other side. I looked back at her, standing over there alone on the boulder in the moonlight. My stomach tensed a new notch as I flipped the rope across. Clouds were again attacking the moon, but I saw her catch it and then climb still higher on the boulder, the rope in hand, ready for her leap. 